I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Joining me today on the Ecology Academy is Jeremy Smith. Now, Jez is a research ecologist for the British Trust for Ornithology, using data analysis to help understand the trends in bird demography. He's also one of the directors at EcoExplore, a company founded by ecologists who provide training in data analysis to consultant ecologists, NGOs, PhD students, conservation scientists and government departments. His background has often involved data analysis in one way or another and also ecology. And Jez has a passion for teaching and helping people identify where understanding data can better help them. So, Jez, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Thanks very much. Pleasure yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's good to, good to have you on board and also to tackle what I consider, now you're going to, I'm sure, alleviate all our fears, is, uh, is, is one of those scary subjects that uh, you know, we all faced maybe at uh, either a school or at a university. Uh, and I'm sure you'll be able to help me and overcome my fears here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a big ask. Sorry about that. Yeah. But before we start, let's let's find out a bit about yourself then. So in terms of your, I suppose, ecological academic career, tell us a little bit about, about uh, how you got into um, the role you are with now with both BTO and uh, EcoExplore. Absolutely. Well, my kind of uh, interest in ecology goes very much back to sort of when I was a child reading. Um, so I got into zoology first with a series of books by an author called Willard Bryce. It's all about uh, a couple of brothers, basically, who go off around the world and have these amazing adventures. And they're trying to, uh, they're commissioned to go and sort of get animals and, and bring them back for zoos and things like this. It's written in the 1920s, so it's quite dated now, but it is, uh, it's an amazing sort of set of stories. And I read these stories, I've got a brother, and I thought of, I imagined us doing this. Yeah. And they were both zoologists, and so I thought, right, okay, I've learned this word now, that's, that's what I want to be. And so I fairly blindly just kind of went through primary school, secondary school, thinking, right, I'm going to be a zoologist. So I came to kind of the UCAS date in the book, found zoology, and decided I wanted to go and sort of do that somewhere. Uh, fast forward a few years, and suddenly I've now got an interest in birds and bats, and no longer want to go and capture them anywhere, but want to go and look at them in situ, research for their behavior and, and their population trends and things like that. Um, and so that brought me to sort of doing field work nationally, internationally, that kind of side of things. And um, yeah, trying to understand what's going on a bit better. And that sort of links in with the data side where I found that I had a bit of an affinity for understanding patterns, particularly kind of numerical ones. And um, yeah, sort of started understanding how to look at these patterns a bit sort of differently. And that very much was exemplified in my PhD, where I was looking at population trends of birds. And in order to be able to tease apart lots of these really interesting aspects of their behavior, um, 
I needed to start understanding a little bit more about some of the processes. And some of those used data analysis in order to be able to tease apart some of these different um, different topics. And so I carried on sort of developing my statistical knowledge, my kind of data knowledge of how to process it, how to play with it, how to understand it. Um, and as I got a little bit more comfortable with that, I started teaching other people. And that leads us sort of all the way to, to now being a research ecologist, where I'm using those data skills. So understanding some of the techniques, understanding the ecology as well, which is absolutely fundamental to my job. If I didn't understand the ecology, I wouldn't be able to interpret the data in the same way. Um, but my experience in teaching people about data, about statistics, about ecology, um, was one of the things that led to me actually sort of uh, attaining the position that I did. And so that brings us up to kind of mm -hmm. what we're doing now with birds, data, um, and ecology for the BTA. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you for that, that, that summary. Now I'm going to take you right back <laughs> to the very start of your uh, your academic career. So going through, as you say, that primary, secondary school, applying for UCAS. Now let's go right to there in terms of um, you know you, you, obviously your interest within the you know zoology and that's something you wanted to progress. Now now and uh, in, in terms of your choice, I imagine you did a zoology degree. I did indeed. Excellent. Okay. I, and whereabouts did you do your de zoology degree? So I studied in Cardiff um, and I knew that I wanted to do a four-year degree, so with a placement. Um, so I applied for that. I had no knowledge or preconception about where that would be or what I'd be doing, but I knew that I wanted kind of the hands-on experience. I wanted to go and um, have that sort of extra year to to develop my skills and to, to find out more about what being a zoologist actually meant in the in the real world sort of thing and in terms of let's put it in cardiff sorry yeah in cardiff i say let's put it some time scales on it so when did you um first start at cardiff in your undergrad so that was back in 2004 so nearly 20 years ago now 2004 yeah so okay uh, so um, um and uh, you originally from wales no no so this summer i will have spent more time outside of england than in um, but I'm originally from the southeast of England, and I moved here, yeah, in 2004. Mm -hmm. And I have either been in Wales, Scotland, or internationally uh, ever since. So right. I've basically lived in Wales now for the last nearly 18 years. 18 years, there you go. So, um, so, so do you know... I didn't think we were going to go down this tangent, but in terms of your choice then to, to come to Wales then, in terms of Cardiff University, I mean, um, on the UCAS form, I mean, did you apply for anywhere else at all or was it just literally for, yeah, for Cardiff? Yeah, it completely fascinatingly to me, um, nonetheless from anyone else. Um, so I applied for Cardiff, Swansea, Aber, and Bangor mm -hmm. without really thinking about the fact that um, they were all in Wales. Uh, and then to in England as well. But yeah, evidently I was sort of uh, be destined to uh, to come over to this side of the border. But I, yeah, that's, that's sort of how it came about really. I just, I looked at the course. Yeah. I thought I liked what the topics were, mm -hmm. um, sort of interested me. I saw the city um, and very much kind of made my choice based upon those things. Based upon that, sometimes it can, it can certainly come down to that, can't it? Yeah. There, there, very similar. That's uh, I've bored people on this podcast already, but um, yeah, I mean, I, 
clearly Cardiff, best university in the world. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's got to be there. And I did a zoology degree at Cardiff too. But a few years before you, though, though, uh, Jess. But uh, yeah, very very similar. That's um, I think I just chose the Welsh universities coming from and then infiltrated <laughs> the, the lands and uh, spent 19 years there. So uh, yeah, yeah, you okay. got a couple of work you years ago, yeah, and then you would have beaten me in terms of my time in Wales. <laughs> Now, in terms, so that was the undergrad degree, uh, mm-hmm. and then that, uh, then did, was it straight away you followed on to doing your PhD, postgrad? No, um, so I finished my undergraduate in two thousand and eight, yeah, and decided to see what the real world had to offer. So straight away, I was very, very fortunate that I got a a position that I could help someone who was doing their PhD at the time on Flatholm Island, so a lo- an island local to the um, south coast of Wales, and spent three weeks doing some gull, so sea, well, gull work, uh, seabirds is where I was going with that. Yeah, not seagulls. Um, yeah. No, exactly not. <laughs> I would be, I'd be very much told off by many, many of my colleagues and friends well done. Um, for that. Um, anyway, so I did that, and then actually got a job being a data analyst in Brussels. Oh, so, right. Okay. Yeah. Complete left field. It was for an accountancy firm. It wasn't for an ecological one. Mm-hmm. I, and this is kind of, this is very much kind of my background. There's, there's field work and there's data and sometimes they've kind of intersected and sometimes it's been one or the other. Um, but they've always been sort of hand in hand, whether I've known it or not. Um, but yeah, so did the data side of things but then thought, no, I'm missing the fieldwork. So I came back and did a master's. I did that in combination between Cardiff and Ghana, which is where my fieldwork was. And then even after that, I kind of decided that was 2010 to 2011. And then I went off and I worked as a field studies instructor. So um, for a company called PGL, they're an activities company. It's a bit like the Field Studies Council, but it's a bit different. Um, and I was teaching A-level students about biology, so river ecology, um, succession, things things like that. And then got a call one day uh, from an old supervisor of mine, and he said, I've got some money and I've got some data. Um, do you want to come back to Cardiff and do you want to analyse it? And I thought, yes, yes, I do. Um, that seems like a very good opportunity to to bring all those bits together. And it was about peregrine falcon migration. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, it's birds, it's um, sort of data, it's analysis. Um, yeah, this is exactly kind of what I'm looking for. And during that project, we spent more time working together. And I thought, you know what, actually, I could get behind this. I could kind of, I could do a lot more of this as a, as a way forward. And so we had many a chat. And I decided that I'd apply for a PhD in Cardiff. And so that's what I did. And I was very fortunate that um, there was some incredible sort of candidates who became colleagues of mine. Um, and amongst amongst that cohort, um, I was offered I was offered an opportunity to do a PhD. Wow. Okay, great. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, I think with those things, the opportunity arises, you know, after you grasp it with two hands, if you, if you can, really. But uh, that, that sounds extremely varied. And in terms of um, when we talk about data, now, you mentioned the words data and analysis there, you know, in a couple of times now. So, I mean, one thing that I suppose scares me, you know, so as a 
consultant ecologist, putting my consultant ecologist hat on, is like, a, okay, we'll get data. You know, you know, we need data to help us make some sort of some sort of decision. You know, resulting in that, and then it's the analysis part. So in terms of you know, building up, I mean, let's talk about the different terminology used then. So we talk about data, we talk about analysis, interpretation, and, you know, so in terms of putting all that together, what sort of, I mean, what drives that? I think that's a really good sort of in, interesting question to sort of uh, to delve into. And I think the point is that, yes, we've got some of this terminology that we use, but data, um, we're all we're all using it all the time and analysis and this is the really interesting thing when data are collected um, i'm particularly thinking within consultancy but everywhere when data are collected whoever you're giving those data to you're not giving the raw data you're giving some form of summary whether that's even to your colleague and they say okay what did you find and you give them you give them a summary of what you've done that in it in its absolute essence is analysis what you've done is you've taken the raw data and you've summarized it how you go about summarizing it is a decision you've already made. So you've decided, okay, well, the most relevant thing to say um, to this person is, okay, we've done a bat survey and the average number of bats we, we, we kind of heard that evening, so the mean number was this. And you chose to give them a mean. You didn't choose to give them the minimum number you heard or the maximum number. You chose You chose a statistic. And what's interesting is that people completely understandably hear so many of these terms and think, ah, oh, I'm terrified of maths. I didn't enjoy it at school. I don't know what I'm doing. There's so much complexity. And that's absolutely true. There is, but there's complexity in everything. You know, for a graduate ecologist coming into an ecological firm, they can look at the principals, they can look at the seniors and they can go, oh my God, they've got so much knowledge. How will I ever get to a level where I've got that level of understanding of the topic? And that's, that's exactly how I feel about data. Everybody does it, but there are some people who have more information, some who have less, some who are a bit more nervous about it. Same way that some people don't like identifying grasses and sedges. They kind of say, oh, it's far too difficult. Couldn't possibly. I'll leave that to somebody else. But then when you've got someone teaching you who actually knows what they're talking about, can help you and can break it down a bit, suddenly it's not quite as difficult to tell a grass from a sedge as it is when you're first doing it and so i think that's kind of that's where i come from with the data side is mm -hmm. everybody's using data what they're getting out of it differs depending on what expertise people have and what they what they're anticipating getting out of it as well that's great. So, you know, I mean, what I picked up on there was, um, you know, so everyone can collect data and everyone can analyze it or so it's and and then, and then pass that on to someone, a colleague or a client or something. So I think what the main point here is, I mean, if, what, I, what I can see is that, um, you know, we were going in with questions. So what questions do we need answering? You know, and I suppose exactly. that can therefore determine a I imagine what data you collect how you go about collecting it and what um, answers you're generating or your interpretation 100% exactly knowing the question you're asking I would say is about 90% of it because going to somebody who's got more knowledge about data about statistics about techniques all these kind of things is near redundant if you can't ask the right question so if you can't tell someone else what you need it doesn't really matter how good they are because they can't 
they can't do the interpretation of what you want mm -hmm. for you. They can they can tease apart some of the questions. They can ask things a little bit more clearly so that they've got a bit more of a drive of understanding how things are going to be. So for example, if you count something, you analyze that differently from if you measure something. So if I measure um, the height of a tree, for example, that's that's a different set of techniques that I'm gonna be using than if I count the number of trees. And so I would be able to sit there and sort of say, okay, well, you want to understand about trees on a, you know, uh, an area of scrubland or an area um, that you're doing a phase one on. And you come to me and say, I, I want to know more about the trees that are there. And I can then ask, okay, well, do you want to know how many there are? Do you want to know something about their dimensions? Do you want to know which species they are? And do you want to know how many there are by how many species there are? So do you want to know the difference between how many ash there are versus how many oak there are? And by doing that, the person who's got more knowledge about the data can start asking those more specific questions, which means that the person who who is doing the work actually can have a much better understanding of the what they're trying to get from it. Because answering a question or asking a question of, are you meaning you want to know how many? If the answer is no, that's really simple. Uh, but that means that the person collecting the data actually has a much better understanding of what they're thinking about as well. Mm -hmm. Rather than just saying, I want to know more about trees, they can say, no, I want to know more about the dimensions of the trees or the age of the trees or something else. And so I think working together to be able to find out what those questions are first is absolutely fundamental. And then, depending on whether you've already collected data or whether you're talking about collecting data, it, you can then develop the study itself around how best to analyze it. So if you want to know how many trees there are and you want to know in which locations uh, of which species, you might then sit down and say, okay, well, we need to know we need to do the same number of surveys at different locations, across different time periods. Um, we want to make sure that we've got a representative sample. And so you can start talking about how the design of the study is going to be sort of important to help the analysis so that when you come back with something, you can then report back and sort of say, ah, oh, well, this is the answer mm -hmm. rather than um, or actually, we didn't collect that because we didn't think it was important. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's great. I think in terms of, um, you know, help me understand a little bit more about uh, problem solving. So, you know, I've got, um, so, so mention that trees, for instance, so you say, yeah, okay, well, as a, you know, for some of our clients will go, well, I, I need these trees removed because I want to put my you know, development here. So they come over you with a problem. They're going, okay, well, tell me about these trees. Can I keep them? Can I get rid of them? Um, how safe are they? So there's many questions different there. Uh, and I suppose then, you know, we as ecologists then go out and, or, or uh, you know, go out and collect that data to say, okay, well, there's X amount of trees. These are the sort of trees. These are the health of the trees and, and uh, ecologists and, uh, you know, arboriculturists as well, of course. And then I suppose the next stage is then using that data. So, so maybe someone's, you know, they can do the field work part of it. They can do the field work, but then they, they, they you know, maybe even come up with the questions themselves. So, okay, we need this sort of data. But when it comes to the, the crossover then, so the collection of the data, so recording the data, getting that in, um, and then an analysis of that data, 
what skills or, or how does that shift? How does that data collection shift between data collection, analysis, and then interpretation? Yeah, interesting. So I think that, as I say, the analysis is happening right from the off. And so the question is, um, then which techniques do you need? What What is the, not only the research question or the, the kind of the, the work-based question, um, to collect the data, but what do you want at the end? So do you want to know how many roosts there are per species? Do you want to know which trees can be removed? You, you know, how much mitigation needs to be put in place? And so depending on those questions is then determines sort of what you need to do. And I think that um, a good... Un there are different levels of understanding, obviously, when it comes to analysis. And I think that we're getting to a point where people are expecting slightly more than they were previously. Previously, you could just say the average number of this species is, is this, um, but it matters to kind of have a bit more depth to some of that. So for example, um, if trees are needing to be removed, then knowing whether bats are in one particular species of tree or another species might massively impact which trees are being removed. So if none of them are in alder, for example, or if, if alder have none of the bat roosts, for example, um, but the oaks do, then actually saying we need to remove five trees means that you could say, well, actually those alder in a bat roost sort of potential situation have no impact, therefore the the impact it will have on the bats is very minimal versus if you take the five oaks, then suddenly you have a massive impact. How to start going about it? Um, I think that first and foremost, students now are being taught to a much, much higher level of practical ability for data analysis. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking people at sort of secondary school, so I'm not necessarily talking uh, undergraduates only, but definitely at undergraduate level uh, across many, many universities now, they are not only teaching the data analysis, but the actionable side of teaching some of the statistical programs as well. And I think that actually speaking to some of the younger graduate ecologists, they will probably have a quite a good idea um, as to how sort of some of these, some of these techniques can be applied or what sort of approaches they might need and so but they might just be a little bit nervous to say something so um i think actually looking at what skills are in house and sort of saying look there's no um there's no penalty if you say something um and it's sort of you're nervous that's absolutely fine um but asking what skills people actually have mm -hmm. is quite a good one um and secondly i think that there's also an awful lot of um information on the web that's correct necessarily but there is there's a lot of information of okay i'm thinking of applying this um sort of or i want to do this with my data what can i do and i think that that's one way of doing it uh another is obviously um going and sort of getting one or more of your members trained in that to a to a greater or lesser extent um, so that then what you're looking for as a company um, or as an individual, you are more able to, um, yeah, to apply those techniques. 
That was interesting to say that. Uh, yes, when I when I went to university, you know, we you know we it was, statistics was something you know we a module we had to take, and it was one of those things had to take rather than wanted to take. Yeah. So I think you say you know, and this is brought in now. So so if you're saying it's been now been taught as a secondary school. So there's a bit more, um, you know, obviously there's a need for it. You can see that and we need to be a data-driven or data-informed society, shall we say, to make um, informed decisions about actions we take and decisions we make. Um, so you're seeing that coming through now with the undergrads uh, coming through, that they, you know, they have got a lot more awareness of statistical analysis and, and data as such. Um now, it's, yeah. So, if you were, if we were in my position as as an employer, for instance, so mm -hmm. as you, you mentioned, you know, alluded to the fact that um, asking those sort of questions. But if I didn't know what questions to ask, so how could we use data more effectively within a ecological consultancy, for example? Interesting. Um, so, I think. A slightly think... a slightly, that's a slightly unfair question to you because I, I know you've got some perhaps perhaps we'd run through some you know some examples some case studies that you've yeah, that, yeah. yeah perhaps yeah absolutely um, I think the reason it's definitely not an unfair question I think it's a very very pertinent question it's just such a broad one mm. that it can mm. um, it's sort of difficult to try and work out the, the most appropriate way to necessarily kind yeah. of, uh, attack it. That's the problem with your podcast. Unfortunately, they, they do fit into a smaller time format compared with uh, what you, I'm sure we'll come onto your training courses, but uh, yeah, let, 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 yeah do, uh, we'll have to go with uh, uh, the short version, I'm afraid. Absolutely, no, totally. So um, some examples of, of how it's applied. I have been given uh, on numerous occasions um, static detector information from bat surveys. So consultancies have gone out and they've placed 10, 15, 20 detectors um, over a season and usually over a couple of seasons. And then they say to us, OK, what's what have we got? You know, we want to know more than just what's the average number of bats um, that we have. We want to know species differences. We want to know location differences and we want to know um, seasonal differences. And the kind of the data in the knowledge isn't sort of in-house to be able to do those. And so what we can then do is sort of say, okay, well, actually you've collected all of these data. You've got, um, you know, you've put them out for, let's say five nights in a row um, across 11 locations. And you've done this for all of this. And I think the biggest stumbling block for many people is, is a huge, or can be a huge volume of data. And so what do you then do with it? Um, and the answer usually comes to um, something called general linear modeling, which is, the, in essence, is you're trying to explain something, so the number of bats you have per night, in relation to some other things, which includes the location, the species, and the seasonality. And that, I think, for me, is one of the one of the biggest things that a consultancy could use these data for is understanding how many bats there are in different ways, understanding that it's not just you've got loads of pips and you've got some other things. It's saying, okay, well, if we look at those some other things, how do they differ? How does Barbastels or Dorbentons or whatever it is differ between site A, B, C, and D, but also the ability to say, whilst 
accounting for that, what's the change in seasonality? So when do these species start becoming active in location A, B, and C? Because when we do kind of the analysis that we would normally kind of look at with just an average of this and an average of that, we can say at location A, B, and C, there are this many. We can even say for species, sort of, you know, A, B, and C, one, two, and three, um, that there are this many on average at locations A, B, and C. But it's much more, more difficult with those kind of simple numerical values um, to understand, okay, well, how much is a species-based difference and how much is a location-based difference? And when you start using statistics, you can actually tease apart, okay, well, if we account, if we say that there are more pips, let's say, at site A than site B, that's very interesting. But do they differ in their seasonality? Do they come out later mm -hmm. at site B? Is that what we're seeing? Or is it that there's a real peak and actually maybe they're commuting, they're not foraging? You know, we can start to understand things about behavior that we couldn't previously with just a simple there's a mean of this at this site and those things for me are really important because i think where it really comes to the fore is mitigation if we can say for example that okay all of those pips are just commuting at this particular time of the night in this location we can sort of say okay well is there another flyway they could use if we have to do something there or are we saying, well, actually, hang on a second, if they're only commuting and they're not roosting or they're not breeding or whatever it might be, okay, maybe that's a less important site than a roost site, for example, where we can see they're active all night long or they're feeding somewhere. It means that we can choose A over B as a, as a priority mm -hmm. for either mitigation or avoidance completely um, or actually having a confidence as ecologists to say, you know what? there really won't be very much impact if we do something here, especially at this time of evening or in this way, because we can then say, well, actually, they're really using this area. And if we can split maybe site A into two, is it actually that they're using one half of site A? And actually, if we do something else on the other half of site A, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe there's going to be a very negligible impact. And the ability to actually provide that detail of information, I think is hugely important, both for consultancies, but for the bats themselves or for whichever species we're talking about. But also, and I think this is where, for me, the real strength lies, is being able to put a number to when we do mitigation to then come back afterwards and sort of say, mm -hmm. has it made a difference? Mm -hmm. You know, have we actually, here is a number that we had before, Here's a number we have afterwards, and and we actually say there's a difference between those, and what level of confidence can we give that? Can we say that there is a less than one in twenty chance that it's by accident that this has happened, and we can actually say no, we've got a nineteen in twenty um, chance that actually this is because of what we've done. You mentioned that word a couple of times now, which uh, which which is confidence, and I think that's yes. that to me is is vital in terms of what we provide, particularly as consultants. You know, we provide advice to our clients who need to make a decision, 
and they need to be confident in the decision. You know, we need to be confident in the the data we collect and analyze interpretation. You know, extremely important. So, what does that? What does this data actually mean? And relay that in a in an effective way back to our clients, so they can make an informed decision based upon the data that we've collected. Which means, yep, uh, okay, there's going to be some financial, um, uh, you know. Uh, risk to them, uh, so they need to be confident that the, the the money they're putting in, the action they take, the time they, the mitigation they put in is going to be, you know, right. Yep. Equally so, as ecologists and to address the biodiversity loss, we need to be confident that the the mitigation, the advice we're providing is going to work. But also, and and I think this is touches on you mentioned about okay, we need a number to start and a number to end. It's the monitoring, surveillance that I think. To, to us, I think that's the bit that's really missing is that we're great at doing the numbers to start off with, putting in the advice, putting in the mitigation, but really to have full confidence in the data and the effectiveness of this mitigation, we need to know, does it work or doesn't it work? Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I think part of the, the reason that we don't have that at the moment, in my opinion, is the fact that before you know, before we've we've done all the work in the in the first place, we've got the numbers. That's great, and then we come to afterwards and sort of say, well, okay, we've we've done it again, and then we get challenged and say, well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. How do you know that they're they're different or the same or whatever? And if it's just an argument between two groups of people, then that's of no help to anyone. And so, it's if it's so easy to undermine the kind of the secondary side of things, then why would anyone put any money, time, effort into doing a second survey if all that's going to happen with the results of that is someone goes, I don't believe it. Yeah. Whereas now that we've got so many more robust methods for being able to say, actually, no, we're really, really confident that this is what the pattern is. Even if there is no pattern, you know, we can be confident that there is no pattern or we can be confident there's a really big impact if we can have that level of confidence, we can say quite clearly, okay, well, here are the you know, pre-work um, data. Here's the mitigation. Uh, we may have put two different types of mitigation in. Mm-hmm. Here is the result at the end. Okay, has one mitigation worked? Has the other mitigation worked? Have neither of them worked? Okay, that's really important to know so that then we can come back and sort of say, okay, what do we need to do differently so that we don't make the same mistake again? Oh my, yeah, this is it. I mean, in terms of, it's, it's like sample size, isn't it? So, you know, you've got to, uh, 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 yeah, imagine you did a little piece of mitigation and then say we put up, uh, you know, with reasonable confidence that we're going to put in, uh, you know, uh, something that's already been put in before. So, for instance, like a gantry, a gantry, they're going across a road and we monitor it and we get zero, you know, we uh, what we're monitoring for is the effectiveness does it use as a back corridor and mm-hmm. it's the first one we put up and we get a big fat zero so do we take away from that that it does not work uh, clearly exactly. that's just one that's just one uh example so all of a sudden we're going to go oh, this cost x amount it didn't get the result we wanted so we're never going to use it again but i'd imagine there's going to be some problems with that sort of uh, um absolutely approach. because as you say it may be that if you don't know why and when that gantry would be used then you may be looking at the wrong time you may be looking for the wrong species you may be looking at the wrong time you may be looking for the wrong duration you've got to know in the first place why that gantry should be put there mm-hmm. 
And I think what's really important for consultants um, and, and all of us is that we need to be able to say to developers, if that's who it is, or anyone doing this work, that um, why they should invest the money in doing X, Y, Z. If we can sort of say, okay, look, we have this much confidence that this gantry would actually work, especially if we then go back and we do target surveys these times for these species, for this reason, we can reduce the cost of that mitigation massively if we know why, mm-hmm. rather than sort of doing a broad scattergun approach of saying, look, we're going to need to go back for 50 nights across this season um, and we're going to need to have 20 people because we don't know where they're going to be and all the rest of it. We can say, actually, we might need four people across 10 nights spread equally across each of these months. And then suddenly the cost of doing that work becomes so much less that actually it's far a smaller proportion in the budget than it would have been if you sort of said, look, we need exactly the same number of surveyors or we need exactly the same sort of volume of work done afterwards as before, which may not necessarily be true. Mm-hmm. And so if we can have the confidence and say that actually we know that this is the best that can be done from our side, we can then put it forward and the developer or whoever it might be can then come back to us and sort of say, actually, you know what, that is a reasonable uh, expense. We are prepared to go for that. Okay, let's go ahead and do that because it's still going to be cheaper yeah. than doing a random scattergun approach yeah. uh, in the first place. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's also about um, that you know the you know the evidence the, the database we have as well. So uh, you know the the more people that do similar studies, you know, um, I think the greater the evidence will say yes, it's beneficial, or no, we need to change something. Um, Absolutely, because I I, I, I I heard a um, I listened to a, a, another podcast, sacrilege, but uh, you know I, I actually heard another podcast the, the other day, um, you know, and it was saying about like sample size, and I think it was about a, uh, I think it's about space exploration. I know it's going to go off on a little bit of tangent here, but um, space exploration, and strangely, we haven't found life anywhere else other than on our planet here. Um, but the sample size that they use, the analogy, you know, the universe is immense. And the amount of amount of um, uh, research we've done or exploration we've done is the equivalent of, I think they said, of like a hot tub, uh, a, a hot tub full of water compared to the, all the oceans on Earth. So, wow. you know, strangely, you know, if we don't find fish in our hot tub, we're going to say there's no fish in any of these waters rather than actually, do you know what, we need to increase the sample size of it. Absolutely. And, and what's really interesting about that, and this is now, I won't go too far down the sort of data rabbit hole, but what happens is the increase in sample size increasing our confidence levels as well. So what it does is it uh, it enables us to be able to reduce what we call sort of the errors, the standard errors around the data. So you've got your middle, your mean value, your average, and then you've got the depending on how variable your uh, data are, impacts how good an estimate you can make. And that estimate has error around it. So it's not that is your absolute number. It's that's your number plus or minus a bit. And that a bit is your standard error. The greater the sample size you have, the smaller those errors become. So you're better at uh, explaining and predicting what your... Uh, average what your mean is going to be and so that's why it's so important to sort of say um, we need more data so that we can reduce those standard errors that's not to say we need an infinite amount of data 
Um, but we do need to make sure that we've got a sensible range. So, you know, it really matters that we don't just go kind of and do something once because we can't have a range of error within that. If we do it 10 times, it's one thing. If we do it a million times, you know, that's going to really reduce the error, but it's also going to be too expensive. So we need to find, we need to know how many times to do it. And that is also something that you can do predictively um, with your data sort of before you even go and do the survey. Great. No, no, that makes all makes sense. And uh, yeah, thank you for explaining standard uh, standard errors there. That's 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 that solved that problem for me uh, partially. <laughs> so in terms of improving our understanding and our need for data, um, you know, you also run sort of um, you know uh, you know I'm, I'm training in help support for anyone who uses data for any 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 any, any use, particularly obviously for science and maybe for ecology so in terms of um your what does um says a little bit about what eco explorer does and or um, you know your, your your work as a trainer and developer yeah absolutely so what we do is we try and get people to have first of all less of a fear of data given that everyone needs to needs to use it and is using it it's trying to alleviate some of that fear to say look we are ecologists by trade who have a lot of experience in data analysis and teaching data analysis. So part of it is a um, a level of trust that actually we know the situation you guys have been in, we've been in it, we're just further down the line. Um, so we run introductory data analysis courses where we talk about people's, our own research, but other people's research as well. And we ask what kind of questions you need and we provide um, some analysis and sort of techniques for doing various analyses. Um, this is for the introductory course is for people who have never um, done data analysis before and we teach it in a particular program. So R is the is the letter but it's also the name of the program. It's a piece of freeware and it's sort of what we teach in because it's the most versatile way um of of doing sort of this data analysis these days and what we do in those introductory courses is we take it right from the installation of the pack uh, of the program through to uh, understanding how um some variables like the number of bats so something you're counting um is related to things such as location and species and we we take it through to that level so that people can go away and with their own data, they can look at the number of X um, individual species, whatever it might be, um, and understand how that is changing between locations or species or through time, whatever it might be. And that's kind of very much the sort of the, the meat of the introductory course. So it takes people from, I've never opened R before through to, I can look at my data and I can um, understand which techniques to use mm -hmm. it's a very fundamental part but also how to apply it and interpret it because i think the interpretation is absolutely essential to it if you don't know how you're interpreting then there's not a lot of point in doing it because all you've got is some numbers you don't understand um we also then do the advanced course so that is sort of it starts at um the top end of the intro course and this is very much more understanding about um terms that maybe 
we're not as interested in, but um, we can understand how to use them. So for example, let's say you're doing um, a survey at a hundred locations. So it's a huge survey, but you're not actually interested in the locations themselves. This also works if you've got 10 locations. If you're not interested in the locations, but you do have differences uh, or you can have differences, then you need to account for that um, in these in these models. And so it's sort of understanding kind of that enhancement of saying, okay, we need to know what our number of bats is, but we don't need to know what the differences between the locations are. We just need to accept that they are from different locations. And then we also move through to things like seasonal patterns. So understanding that actually not everything's a straight line. Sometimes, you know, we might have very few at the beginning of the season, uh, many coming out of a roost, let's say, uh, in the middle of the season and then tailing off at the other end. And that sort of um, not straight line, so non-linear uh, trend is something that's really important for ecologists to understand. And so we teach those uh, known as general additive models. And so that's sort of a key component of this, the kind of temporal side of our work is that we need to know how things changes, how things change across nights or across seasons uh, and things like that. And then the final kind of main course that we teach is understanding spatial analysis. So again, we've all kind of recorded things either on a GPS or our status detectors have um, sort of GPS locations inbuilt and visualizing that, but also understanding how things move through an environment is absolutely crucial to us. And so it's taking again, people who don't necessarily have a background in GIS, um, or even if you do, it's how to apply it in something free like R um, and transferring some of those skills, even if you've been using Q or ArcGIS, it's using some of those skills to understand how you can do the spatial analysis in R, but then use the results of that to also do the other data analysis um, that you would have covered in the other courses. So. They're three courses that are independent of each other, but they tie in very, very clearly and very nicely to make sure that people can understand how to open R, how to use it effectively, um, and how to visualize the results so that you can actually create something that you can put into a report and sort of say, here are the numbers, um, but also here are the visualizations. This is a, a map of our site with the plotting of the, the points or, here are the um, movements of individuals. If you're, if you tag um, any species, but if you've got GPS tags on them, for example, you can actually start plotting uh, routes and trends and understanding how those, uh, how behaviors are related to those spatial movements. No. So those are the, the main courses that, um, that we teach. No, I can see it, it's it's hugely important because um, you know from um, you know any consultancy, whether it be ecological, environmental, whatever, you know we provide you know it's the provision advice, and uh, we mentioned that words confidence in in that. But it's also about liability. You know, if we ha if we you know yes, we may have confidence in the results, but if it comes to down to you know some very controversial evidence, shall we say, you know, we have to be confident that the, the, the manner we've conducted our surveys, the, the way we collect the data, analyzed it, interpreted it, is to the best of our ability, you know, you know, and we know it's flaws, I'm sure every single 
uh, piece of you know um, survey we do will have some limitation to it. It's knowing about the limitations, being able to explain them, defend them, uh, and uh, you know present that maybe as a public inquiry. Um, you know when it, when something may be called in for you know for an inspector or something like this. So arming ourselves with the skills that are needed not only in data collection as we do as field <laughs> ecologists but the analysis part now that could quite scares me because they can actually do you know what we may not have that expertise in-house mm-hmm. but in one way we technically don't need it all in-house because we can also outsource that potentially absolutely and that's that's what our clients do um there are people who have come to us and said look honestly we you know we can come on the course and and sort of many people have and they come back and they say that's that's great and then there's other times they say but honestly we don't have the time to spend ourselves sort of doing that um you are much sort of more proficient and faster at doing it so therefore can we just outsource this to you um and and that's very much sort of another sort of major part of of our work is to sort of say look yes Mm -hmm we can talk you and your clients or if it's if you are the client we can talk you through what questions um you want to ask we can talk you through how we're going to do it but the actual meat of doing it we can do and then we can provide the results to you the visualizations to you and sort of say look you don't have to have all knowledge in-house all of the time it is entirely reasonable to turn to an expert and say okay actually you know what you are an expert in this, we're not, um, but let's work together and make sure we get to to the result that we need. Because as you say, it is daunting, the idea of going to a public inquiry for anyone, for any reason. And it's one thing to have the ecological knowledge in your back pocket to say, look, I do trust my training, I do trust my knowledge uh, about the ecological side. But then, it, as you say, quite frequently when people come to the, the numerical side, they kind of go, mm, we did our best. And I think that although that is absolutely the best anyone can ever do, there is more of a switch now towards actually, we kind of need someone, someone's best, whose yeah. best it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's degrees of uh, expertise, you know, that uh, I may have some knowledge, but some knowledge mm-hmm. may not, uh, you know, cut the mustard when it comes to actually defending it in a public inquiry yeah 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 so uh, uh in terms of I mean, this training then so uh, i know you're running a course uh, you know very very soon so when this is recording it so unfortunately it won't go out by the time uh, you know people can't jump on that course but um in terms of your other courses do they how frequently do they run throughout the year then jess so every sort of three months we tend to run uh the courses so yes we'll have just had um the intro course and uh, but we've got the advanced course in um, in July. So we've got that um, at the 17th and 18th of July. And then we've got the spatial mapping uh, course in the beginning of August as well. So it'll be the first uh, couple of weeks of August. The The dates haven't been finalised just yet, um, but it'll be the first, first couple of weeks of August. And how can people book onto those courses? So um, there is the Eco Explore website. So... Um, www.eco-explore.co.uk and you will see all of our courses there and they can be booked directly uh, through the website or alternatively um, 
please feel free to email me at jez at ecoexplore, no hyphen, .co.uk, um, and we can send invoices to individuals, organizations, mm. um, if that's sort of needed in preference to uh, paying via the, the website. And yeah, we limit the number to um, a maximum of 20 on a course. They're delivered remotely, so you get, um, so they're all online via Zoom, but you also then get the recordings of those for six months as well. So like it says on the uh, Ecology Academy web, Academy website, mm-hmm. um, it's it means that you can go back to those uh, sessions as many times as you like during that period. And that's a real kind of bonus that we found post-COVID is that actually people come on the course, but then they, they re-access all those materials sort of many times again as they can. And especially when they come to their next sort of data analysis challenge, they can go back to those and sort of relook at the bits that are relevant um, and make sure that that's there. We also, um, just as a slight aside, but as part of those courses, you get a guidebook um, which we've written and we talk you through a flowchart. So actually understanding, okay, which techniques will I want given different situations? And it means that you can just go through and say, right, okay, I need session four, mm-hmm. fine. Okay, that's the one I'll go to. And I'll go and use the the templates that we've written for you, um, the, the scripts as they're called. And you can literally lift those and use those uh, in your own analysis. So you don't have to remember which bits to click. Um, all of the all of the wording is in front of you. That's great. Well, I'll put links to um, to your website, uh, the, the EcoExplore website, uh, onto our show notes. So uh, anyone's listening to this, they can actually just click on the link and go straight to your site there. Then, Jess, yeah. Uh, can people cl- uh, connect to you on LinkedIn as well? Is it? Uh, do you Absolutely. Use yeah. So um, there's sort of EcoExplore is on Facebook and uh, Twitter and also LinkedIn as well. So I will provide those those links and. We also run a Facebook page. Uh, I know that's not necessarily some of your audience's um, sort of social media, but we we run a, a space. We run a page called R Space, and the idea behind this is it is a um, inherently friendly forum for asking questions about data analysis. So um, there's about three and a half thousand people who uh, regularly sort of use that. And so there's lots and lots of people who ask questions to say, look, I'm coming up with this sort of data and I want to do this sort of thing. Who can point me in the right direction? And um, it's curated by EcoExplore, which means that if ever, very, very rarely there is, if ever there is a snarky or a rude comment, we can just remove it so that it's a very friendly, very Mm. um, sort of pleasant place to kind of ask questions and make sure that the the answers you're getting are going to be um, helpful and um, cordial. Oh, wonderful! Well, thank you. Thanks for that, Jez. So uh, now I've got. We are running out of time, and so I've got just two more questions for you, if that's okay. Now, the first one, you, you can answer this as uh, you know, succinctly, or feel free to elaborate as much as you want to. Now, we did have a conversation earlier on about uh, using data, and obviously, you know, it's a bit topical at the moment about using sort of some, some sort of AI, so artificial intelligence and automation as well. So, within, so I'm particularly passionate about and interested in about how we can use to, to, to for the betterment of 
ensuring that we you know uh, you know halt biodiversity loss and restore biodiversity loss and um, but using tools that they're not going to go away you know we need to embrace these tools they can help us in terms of efficiency and yes productivity as well but i mean how can you know what are your thoughts on using data with ai and automation for the companies or individuals i think it's excellent i think that it's something that is going to be out there uh, and understanding how to use it correctly it's like any tool mm. i think understanding how to use it correctly is going to be the most um the most efficient way of doing it and what we need to do i feel is that we need to make sure that we understand the answers enough to know kind of what's going on so i think that for example it can write code for you it can it can do analyses for you um but you have to know the right questions to ask in the first place and you have to understand what it's giving you back and so i think that it is an incredibly useful tool and i think it should be used i think it should be um sort of acknowledged that it's being used but i think that we need to be very very careful about um making sure that that's not sort of the first port of call instead of knowing something so one way to do it is to go to a, an ai system whatever it might be and ask it to explain the in sort of you know in an appropriate to an appropriate level to you um what techniques are doing so if you come on a course and, and you hear something and it's not the main topic being covered but you think well that's interesting you can go to the ai and ask okay how is this can you give me an example in lay terms of when this technique could be used or what does this specific thing mean um and i think getting a deeper understanding or starting off and sort of saying okay can you give me an intro to you know this particular idea this topic um is a very good one whereas i would very much hesitate to sort of say writing into it and saying okay i've got these data um can you analyze it for me mm -hmm. and then just taking that that sort of information and putting it in a report or even just sharing it with colleagues because if you don't know what it's done you don't know when the mistakes have been sort of put in and i've used um some of the ai uh, a few sort of i'd say a good few times actually for some sort of work related things i've never found that it was perfect and i think where for me it comes in is it's been extremely useful but I've had to have the knowledge to understand what the limitations were. And I think it's exactly the same if you use a photo classifier, for example, for any particular plants or an auto classifier for birdsong or, or bat recording and stuff like this. Especially when you put it through, let's, let's take a bat sort of bat ID. This is AI. This yeah. is a program that's been written mm -hmm. that we don't have to go and identify each individual bat. But it's also not perfect and we've known that for many many years and so people go through this and they either spot check or they they do some form of validation and i think it's exactly the same when it comes to data and analysis you need to have the expertise that the consultants do to be able to know okay that was definitely an enthusiast rather than a soprano or whatever in the same way as when you're doing an analysis you need to know okay that model was using a gaussian distribution rather than a poisson distribution and understanding when that is appropriate is, 
I think what the specialism is still required for mm. rather than kind of just saying, can I have sort of the answer to this question done, please? I think so. I think it's a really useful tool, but I think we need to accept and understand that we still have expertise to interpret what the output is. Yeah, I mean, there's a few points that you mentioned there. So first of all, you know, that mentioned that yeah, this, this AI is not perfect, but neither are we. <laughs> you know, we make mistakes too, you know, clearly, else we wouldn't be developing these AI tools to help us in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, expediency and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, maybe accuracy, you know, so I imagine that is, it's only at the, the start of the, the this process here. I don't know, they're going to get a lot better. Uh, um, so, yeah, so although AI is not perfect, neither are we. So it's not a reason not to use AI, I think. Some people have argued the fact that, oh, well, it's going to generate, it's generated this random thing, this, this, um, this hallucinations, I think some of them, some of the call, aren't they? That's uh, it makes stuff up. But that's from the generative part mm -hmm. of AI. You know, it has to generate something because that's its job. Jack and Jill went up the, now we know it's going to be Hill, but it could also, that Jack and Jill went up the, Monuments, you know, it, it's different, you know, it, it's just, it's generative. So the one thing, yeah, it's not perfect. It will get better. And the other part, I think you really, really yeah, uh, yeah, honed in on there is that we shouldn't just take it for red, you know, take for granted that the, whatever it spits out is going to be correct. And I think the greatest analogy I've, I've heard, and I think of a lot of people use this, is use it as your co-pilot. You're not, you, you're not, it's not your captain. It's not going to take you to the destination. You wouldn't trust it to take you to the destination but certainly use it as a co-pilot to help you uh, come up with some sort of um, answer, but fact-checked. Fact Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a, I like that analogy. Yeah. yeah great. Okay, well, I'll leave on that. But uh, our final question to you uh, is, now, um, I mean, you've, you've made, well, made three degrees, three degrees. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so in terms of someone who may be pursuing, whether academically or not, a career as an ecologist or, and I'm going to pause on this one, statistician uh, or any anyone using data analysis, what career advice would you give? Whether it be, um, and also, I mean, you could use that to say what good advice you've been given, what bad advice you've been given. So yeah, what would you say to our audience? Interesting. Um, so I think breadth of um, colleagues is probably one of the the big things everybody has someone some something to learn from and so what i would say and it's often called sort of interdisciplinary um universities i would say don't be afraid of talking to people from different backgrounds with different knowledge knowledge bases and all the rest of it because you know we need if you want if you're an ecologist and you want to have more information about statistics a statistician is exactly the person to speak to. Um, and so they may be in the math department or they may be in the science department of some other kind. So I would say make sure that you're not just talking to um, the colleagues that are sitting next to you. But I would also say don't be afraid of it, um, whether that is a statistician wanting to get into ecology or an ecologist wanting to be a statistician. None of us are born as anything particular. Everyone who is an ecologist has spent a long time learning and taking information from whichever sources they are, or whether that be sort of errands, friends, universities, colleagues, whoever it is, they've had to learn all of these different things. It's the same with statistics and with data. You've it, it does take a while to get a deep understanding, 
But if you can become an ecologist from a baby that doesn't know anything, you can become um, a data, data person, a data scientist, a statistician, whatever it might be. It's just a different set of learning. And so definitely, definitely, just because you're, or if you are, worried, scared, apprehensive now, doesn't mean you can't be happier with it in six months, a year or whatever. I think data is absolutely ubiquitous. So I think the more that people have in their toolkit, the more that they can feel comfortable doing their job, but also the more employable you are. Hmm. Because as we've said earlier on, some people don't have data people in-house, statisticians, whatever. If you can be that ecologist who's got a good knowledge of statistics, suddenly you're bringing two things to the table and the principal, whoever it might be, who's employing you, is going to look and sort of say, actually, okay, well, can we handle, can they, that person handle some of this uh, data side? Can they help train the rest? You know, whatever it might be, you can bring things to it. So definitely don't be afraid of it. Um, I would say very much actively lean into it and chat to people uh, in from different fields because the techniques are very widely applicable. So just because something's about a different taxonomic group or a different field entirely doesn't mean you can't use it. Oh, fantastic advice. Yeah, you know, I, I, I totally endorse curiosity, you know, in, in, any, in all its formats there. Well, uh, Jess Smith, thank you so much for joining me today on the Ecology Academy podcast. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you.